0: So we've been talking about hot topics, and this is the last of these topics that we're going to talk about today. And so I want to pray, and then I want to just jump right into it, if that's all right. Will you guys pray with me? God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we praise you. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. You are loving. Your word is truth. Your word is infallible. Your word is eternal. And we come before you today to worship you, for you are worthy. We confess, Lord, that we can sometimes be caught up with the times rather than with you, our God, who created time itself. We confess that we can be sinfully judgmental over others. We confess that we can sometimes let our feelings dictate our understanding of truth rather than letting your word lead us. We confess that we can sometimes misuse the bodies that you have blessed us with. Therefore, we thank you for your patience to us. We thank you for your spirit in us. We thank you that you are long-suffering with our foolish hearts and that you have sent your Son to redeem our thoughts, our emotions, and our bodies as well as our souls. We thank you that your word is living and active and full of power. Father, we ask that you would not leave us in our sinful state, but rather change our hearts to be ever hungering for you, for your glory, for our obedience to you, even when it's hard. Transform us by your word and not by this world. Be with this poor preacher today and let his words firstly bring you glory and praise and secondly bring life and hope to those who hear. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, what are your pronouns? That is a question that we've been hearing, oh, I don't know, over the last maybe 10 years, but even that seems a little generous. Um, what are your pronouns? Uh, how do you identify? Where are you on the LGBTQIA spectrum? Um, is your organization inclusive? Are you providing a safe space? All of these are, are questions that we are being faced with in our society and in our culture right now. And so what I want to talk to you about today is, is gender, is identity. Um, so yes, we're going to cover the taboo topic of sex, um, and so that's why I gave you some parental warnings. We're also going to cover a couple other things. Now these are all images of flags. Flags. Uh, I, I, believe, I believe they're all up to date, uh, and all of them represent a certain kind of potential identity that we can identify with, right, um, or something to identify in general. Obviously, hopefully, you don't identify as water, sewer, or gas, of course. Um, now, my wife might say that I identify as sewer and gas sometimes, um, <clears throat> but you see, we, we have the American flag, of course, because we identify as Americans. I, I hope that you're proud to be that. Uh, I know. In now, now, I'm not a huge sports fan, but I do understand the the disconnect between houses divided. Right, so you've got the Sparties and the Wolverine fans, and then you've got these that identify things in the ground so you don't dig them up and, and cause harm or danger or you know explosions or the other kind of thing. And then you've got this flag, which is the the, the gender flag, and I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it's the most up to date version that we currently have. Now, I cannot. <clears throat> nor do I think it's, it's profitable for us this morning necessarily for me to be able to identify all the stuff and every single color and every single thing that what it means. But surely, unless you've lived under a rock, you have seen all of these things before in your life probably, right? And these are all ways that we try to identify. <clears throat> and these are the questions we're being faced with in society. But the Bible is clear about human sexuality. It's also clear in how we should respond to wrong ideology. As well as treat others with love, and so today, as we look at the topic of gender, what I I put this out on Facebook too, and so what I want to try to cover is the biblical gender identity or biblical gender ideology. So that's what I'm going to seek to do, and I pray that it would be um, first and foremost biblical, like we just prayed. That's what I've been praying all week. Uh, secondly, and, and I'm sorry that it goes in this order, but it is in this order because I love you. First and foremost, biblical. And then secondly, that it would feed your souls. And, and, and I believe that if we hit the first, that it will do the second. So let's, without further ado, uh, let's jump in. If you are a note taker, uh, the first thing you can write down is God's creation. Now in Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 through 28, this is what it says in the back. They're going to click through so I can read here. Uh, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the first sub point of God's creation that I believe that the Bible teaches us is this. So you can write this down too if you're filling in notes. Gender and sexuality are and have always been relevant in the Bible. Now as much as maybe our current day uh, scholars and I 'm going to use that in, in air quotes or, or experts, right? may, have th- may, may, be, may be thinking uh, gender and sexuality is not a new invention. It is not new to America. It is not new to the whatever century we're at. what are we in 21st, 22nd century? I don't, I don't remember anymore. Um, they all blur together after COVID. It's all just one century, I guess I don't know. Um, I know century is a hundred years. You can correct me on that later. What I'm saying is Gender and sexuality have been there since the very beginning. Uh, this is nothing that is outside of God's word, and his word speaks to it very much so. Genesis has very clearly given us the sexual template in the beginning. Genesis shows us uh, the created order and function of the two sexes in reproduction. Genesis shows us the wickedness of mankind in Sodom and Gomorrah and in Noah's day. Uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy give us rules and laws concerning sexual sin. The Old Testament historical books tell us tales of sexual sin and the punishment and outcome thereof. And by the way, it is not just the punishment or outcome of homosexual sin or any kind of other proclivity. It is also heterosexual sin. Proverbs tells us the lack of wisdom in sexual sin. The prophetic books regularly compare Israel's idolatry to prostitution or harlotry. The historical books record the fall of the kingdom, and at least one main reason was the king's sexual sin in Solomon, who is supposed to be the wisest among them. Now, moving on from the Old Testament, the New Testament affirms the Old Testament in form and function of human sexuality. We see that in, in just certain things that Jesus says as he refers to the law and the prophets, referring to all of what we know as the Old Testament, right? To them, it was just the Testament at that, at that point. And he affirms all of that. The rest of the New Testament writers regularly warn us about sexual sin. It is, it is in almost uh, all of the New Testament. We see Paul writing on it regularly. And so I, I want to end this part of this point before we go on to the next point by simply saying the only acceptable outlet or practice of sexual behavior is inside the covenant of marriage union of one man and one woman. And, and that statement alone is taboo in our world. But it doesn't change that that is exactly what Scripture says and it's that way from the very beginning. And in that union, is how we best represent the image of God. Second point: According to Scripture, human creatures are strictly binary. Now, th- this is a terminology that is is used that's um, I don't understand. I think it comes from like computer language, there's ones and there's zeros, and I think that's binary code. Um, I know bicycle means a two-wheeled bike, and so I'm, I'm thinking <clears throat> as far as that goes, that's what that means, there's there's two options, male and female, um, but according to Scripture, that, that's true. Scripture, humans are created strictly binary, there's no other, um, there's no range in, in between there. Uh Let's go back again. So Genesis has very clearly described humanity as being either, or, and not a range. He said he created them male and female. He created them. In fact, in, the Genesis, in, in Genesis, in the first three chapters there, there's, there's two accounts of this creating of male and female. And so very clearly in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the context of which they would understand it, that was it. There's, there's one or the other. God brought Adam, all creatures, so that he could see his need for a counterpart. God gives these roles to them, the man and the woman. He calls them good, and he blesses them. Now, what we need to understand is all that was before the, the fall, too, though. So the Old and the New Testament agree regarding gender being binary. And what I mean by that is uh, the New Testament, since Jesus and others affirm that continuously, that that account in Genesis, in fact, he goes back to, Jesus goes back to that account in Genesis as them becoming one flesh. And so nowhere in Scripture are non-binary genders mentioned in any kind of positive way now, I understand that there are scholars out there, okay, air quotes, I understand that there are scholars out there who will argue this point or who may argue it with you. And unfortunately, the fact is they simply do not know the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek well enough to make that argument. It's fallacious. It's just simply fallacious. Now, in the Greek, there, are, there is gender-neutral language, but there is always a context. For example, with us, in our English language, this is a side note, I didn't plan on saying this, but I just want to give you some context. If I use the word run, there can be several different contexts for the word run. I can say I'm going to run to the store. You know that I'm, you, I hope you know that that means I'm not physically actually running to the store. Um, I could tell you run, which means flee with intensity. Or perhaps a woman could have a run in a sweater, or a stocking, or a sock, right? And then, of course, when we're sick, there's a whole other kind of run. <laughs> and and so, so, what I'm getting at here is, is this: context matters. And so, even though our language can be kind of our language can be kind of neutral, the word "run" is neutral. But as soon as I put it in a context, it immediately makes sense. So also lifestyles outside the created gender roles are actually condemned in Scripture. Science proves the Bible to be accurate. Now I am not an endocrinologist and I'm not a pediatric doctor and I'm not a phlebotomist. I'm I'm, I'm not a doctor of any sort, whether that's PhD or, or MD or any other. But there is scientific, undeniable DNA and chromosomes that we just, it just is the way that it is. Any true scientist will tell you that there's X and Y chromosomes, and that's all there is. And, and that is the norm. And anything outside of X and Y chromosomes, we, we intrinsically know as, a, as some kind of a, a mutation. And I don't mean that in any kind of bad way. I mean, there's no judgment in that statement. It's just, that's just... Scientifically, it just is how it is. So according to Scripture, human creatures are strictly binary. Third, before we move on to the next overarching point, humans' binary sexuality is good and right and to be guarded and celebrated. God says that it is good from the outset of Genesis. He knows that man shouldn't be alone. In verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God says it's good. He establishes it. He blesses it. He designs it. Old Testament scripture celebrates it, cherishes it, guards it. We don't preach on it very much. But I I trust that you know that there is a whole book in your Old Testament. It's called Song of Solomon. And it is all about the celebration of binary marriage and the union between a man and a woman in the context, the blessed and right context of of marriage. And, And if you didn't know that, then I hope that what you do know is that in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. Assuming that the two will come together someday for a permanent, eternal union. And so Genesis established it. The Old Testament continues to celebrate it. Jesus in the New Testament continues to confirm this view. New Testament authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, continue to push that human binary sexuality is good, it's right, it's to be guarded, it's to be celebrated, and that is, the, I guess, the first application to us. I don't know about other churches, but as long as I'm here, Allegan Bible Church is going to stand behind that human binary sexuality is good, it's right, it should be guarded, and it should be celebrated. Biblically speaking, heterosexual, monogamous marriage is the only, and I want to say that again, Because it's really easy, I think, in some churches for us to say, yep, it's them out there. So I gave you this parental warning. Biblically speaking, heterosexual monogamous marriage is the only proper context that God designed for our gender and sexuality to be practiced. Anything outside of that is sin, which means masturbation, pornography, uh, adultery, fornication, whatever. Whatever. Anything outside of practicing that with your spouse is sin. And brother or sister in Christ, if you are engaged in that, you need to repent immediately because other places in Scripture it says, do not be deceived. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we are not just talking about saving your marriage or keeping you pure or keeping you safe from STDs. We're talking about your eternal soul. This is a big deal. Now, I started down this path. Let's, let's, let's finish that. So the second point is this. So we have God's creation, and now we have humans' curse. We have the curse that has affected everything. Okay? This is spelled out very clearly in Genesis 3. I trust that you're probably familiar with that story. If not, I have just gave you the chapter. You can read it on your own. I don't want to go to Genesis 3 because I think it's... it's It's so clear there. Instead, I want to take you to Romans, uh, in fact. And so in the back, they're going to click through as I read through this. But Romans 1, 21 through 25 says, "...for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile, in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resenting mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So humanity's curse is what caused all of this to be flipped up and down. Sin is what causes a person to desire to do what is contrary to God's desired purpose. And this is the case for everyone. Now, I won't do this. I should do this, because I don't think we do this enough. Let me me skip how I was going to do that. If you are past puberty then in your life, you've struggled with sexual sin. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you were born before the internet or now that you're born after the internet. I don't care if HBO was doing specials about, I don't know who does that, naked and afraid or whatever. There's just garbage all over, okay? Uh, It used to be that, you know, um, Lucy and, uh, what's his name? Lucy and Ricky wouldn't even sleep in the same bed, right? Then later on, they got into, but before that, there was still, Penny magazines, there were still pinup girls, there were still all these different things, uh, women, and, and you're not excused from this either. So if you've ever been through puberty, you are subject to sexual sin, period. Sin is what causes a person to desire and to do what is contrary to God's desire and purpose, period. And I'm not just talking to our, and this may be a terminology that may freak some of you out, I'm not even, I'm not even just talking about our Our brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with gender identity or our brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with the temptation of same-sex attraction and all those kind of things. Sin is what causes anyone to desire what is contrary to God's purposes. See, we are created to worship. We are created to have a relationship and when we stop worshiping God, it's not that we just stop worshiping God. Look at the text in Romans. When we stop worshiping God, we just we just worship something else. For some, it's sexual sin or personal gratification. For some, it's money. For some, it's power. For some, it's authority. For some, it's you, you know uh, fame or all kinds of things. And so again, any sexual practice or identity outside of God's creation order is sin. Sexual sin is not the only, and it's not the worst sin. But the Bible is clear that sexual sin is sin. And so the 2nd uh, subpoint of of this curse is, this curse affects the physical, the mental, and emotional part of the individual as well as the soul. Now, in churches, we so often, and it's not, it's not wrong for us to do this, so often as we're witnessing to people, we want, hey, save your soul. We don't want your soul to go to hell. Absolutely. But brothers and sisters, there is so much more than this. I want for God to redeem your physical body. I want for God to redeem your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health. When God created us in His image, He didn't just create us as Caspers, like floating around, some disembodied soul. In the end, when there's a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, we are going to have restored bodies. So the curse affects our physicality. We now eat the things we shouldn't eat. We don't exercise. We don't take care of ourselves. We now have mental issues. We, We struggle and battle with anxiety all the time. All of us. Now, Now, and, and, and here's the thing. If you're here and you know that some of these are more your proclivity than others, I'm not talking down to you. I'm saying, look, if let's raise our hands. Who all struggles with all these, right? Or, or, or one of these. Every single one of us ought to be doing that. So physical, mental, emotional, the individual as well as the soul. Physically, we get sick. We get old. We die. Mentally, our minds have been darkened. We think wrongly. We understand wrongly. We suffer from anxieties, fears, and doubts. Emotionally, we're disconnected from one another and we're left wanting. Emotionally, generally, you know, men can't relate. They don't talk about their emotions. We're designed for a relationship with God and instead, because of sin, we're often left hollow. And so all of this culminates into wrong living for all of us. Food addiction, because we eat our thoughts and our feelings. Drug addiction, so we can be numb or drown our thoughts and our feelings. Entertainment addiction or work addiction, right? Either one, same thing. Entertainment addiction, work addiction, so we can busy ourselves from our thoughts and our feelings. Rage, depression, anxiety, where we give ourselves over to our thoughts and our feelings. Or sexual sin, where we seek overt indulgence in our thoughts and our feelings and our desires. And the problem is, is the longer that humans exist in this fallen world, that's why we should say, come Lord Jesus, come. But the longer we exist, the more innovations that we're going to create to not only satiate these sinful desires wrongly, but also to, quote unquote, save ourselves. And we're going to seek to save ourselves from the consequences of these wrong thoughts, feelings, and failing bodies. And so what I'm saying is, is, it's because of the fall that we have wrong sexual desires, that we practice sinful sexuality, and that we seek to justify our sins by our... Se- uh, we seek to justify ourselves in our sinful behavior also because of the fall. And heterosexuals do that too. So last of the three subpoints for this one is this. Satan and the world because he is the current ruler of this world so that I hope makes sense to you, right? So Satan and the ruler of this world they offer the same lie today regarding gender and sexuality that they did about the fruit. And by the way, Satan and the world offer the same lie about any of your sin, issues, and hang-ups. He offers the same lie today for you that he does about the fruit, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read to you. I, I don't think, Nick, the next slide is not Genesis, right? It is? Good. So I'm going to read to you God's Word, okay? And then I'm going to give you John's interpretation of, of, of that. Does this make sense? So we need to be really clear about what God, is God's word and what pastors John's imaginational interpretation, okay? Uh, so that's what we're going to do. So let's go to God's word first, as we should, and then, and then I will uh, take you through where Satan gives us the same lie today about these things as he does about the fruit. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, yeah, I just wanted to make sure it's right up here. Okay. Uh, did Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the, to the eyes, and that the tree would, uh, was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now that's the word of God. Here's the same lie same same section of Scripture with a twist on it for us to really see this, okay? Because we're all thinking probably right now, yeah, okay, but I'm not, I'm not tempted to eat fruit out of the garden. Okay, but go with me. You, you ready? So this is not going to be on the screen, but you just read it, so hopefully it's fresh in your mind. Now the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the human, did God actually say, you shall not practice sexuality nor change your gender. And the human said to the serpent, we may practice sexuality inside the context of marriage, but God said you shall not practice sexuality or gender outside the context, for it will lead to death. But the serpent said to the human, ah, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you do this, your eyes will be opened, and you will experience a new sense of self and and pleasure that God seeks to keep you from. So when the human saw that the sexuality was pleasurable and that it was a delight to the body and that the experience was to be desired to make one wise, the the human practiced and did as it wanted and also encouraged others to do the same. Here is the basis of the lie. Here is Satan's lie to you for anything, whether it's sexuality, whether it's uh, money, fame, uh, whatever. The lie is this. God does not have your best interests at heart. He is keeping something from you. He is not letting you be true to your authentic self. He is wrong. Your thoughts, your desires, your emotions, you are right. Do what you want because there's not going to be the consequences that he said there would be. That's the same lie. It's the same lie for for any sin that we engage in. But the truth is, is that when we live outside of God's plan, we are going to experience depression, suicide, self-harm. Just look at the stats. We're going to experience medical issues, sterility, performance inability, pain, STIs, STDs, incontinence, tears, and infections. And maybe this is gross to you, but the facts are the facts. And it relates directly to Scripture when it says that when they had given themselves over to these things, he allowed the punishment of himself to take on into their bodies. And it is as true for heterosexuals who practice sin as it is for homosexuals or transgenders or or anyone else who's practicing any kind of gender identity outside of the right biblical context of marriage. I get cold sores twice a year on my lip. And twice a year, I get to explain to my kids who are young why Daddy can't kiss them for a little while. And Daddy gets to explain to them that because before Daddy was a Christian, Daddy kissed a girl who wasn't his wife. And so now Daddy has the continued scar of that sin in his body until Jesus comes. You know what I'm going to do when I get to heaven? I'm going to kiss Jesus. (laughs) Because I'm going to be able to. Because that sin, although forgiven, the scars of that sin still remain, and I have to deal with that in this life. That is a consequence of my sin. But one day, those will be washed away. Biblically speaking, because of the fall, all of us are broken, all of us are twisted, all of us are deceived. None of us seek after God, but rather we seek our own selfish pleasures. Satan promises us that these sinful desires will bring us pleasure, purpose, and identity. But in the end, they only bring death. So I want to talk to you about the cure. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. This is the cure. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and including your heart to understanding, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So what is the cure the cure is accepting the truth of the gospel for one's own salvation. Amen. See, we're trapped in our sin apart from Christ. Every single one of us. Now, last week we, t- we had that sermon about one way. Jesus is the only way. That is true. And praise God for that because if there's one way, then that means that one way is effective. John eight thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Second Corinthians 5:17, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold the new has come. We have to accept the gospel and understanding that God is God, we are not, His word is true, even when it hurts, even when it's hard. You know, Jesus said, "If you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me." He didn't say, "If you want to follow me, grab a cotton candy and your sprite along the way, and we'll skip together." In God's eyes, your identity is only one of two things. In God's eyes, you are either a child of sin, of your father, the devil, or you've been adopted and remade and restored and renewed, and you're in Christ. Second thing is seeking the wisdom and understanding of God given to us in Scripture. We are told to work out our faith with fear and trembling. God's Word is the ultimate authority to us. It's not society. It's not me- media. It's not our feelings. It's not our thoughts. It's not our desires. It's not whatever's popular on TikTok. It's not whatever the celebrities are doing. It's not whatever modern-day sociologist or or are, are saying. It's not whatever modern-day science is seeking to, to find out. We need to seek the wisdom and understanding of God given to us in Scripture. He is the final authority. And then lastly, we must apply the word. So here, this is the cure is accepting this gospel, seeking to follow it, and then applying it when you find it. Apply the word of God through the Spirit in your everyday lives. Is this easy? No. It's not easy. Jesus said that we are to die to ourselves. We say things like, I was born this way. Yeah, but you, in Christ, you were also reborn in Christ. Let me tell you, I was born as an angry, womanizing alcoholic. That's how I was born. But I was reborn as a child of the Most High God. <laughs> And if you are in Christ, you're now born in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. I don't know if it's up there, but I'm going to read it to you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's what he says. Put that to death. And he starts off with this. Imagine, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off this old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So I'm going to run through these again, and, and then I want to give you your application as Christians because I think it's very easy for us to hear a sermon like this and say, yes, amen, amen. We, yeah, we're going to, yes. But there's work for us to do, and this is what I mean by that. So let me tell you these. Biblically speaking, heterosexual monogamous marriage is the proper context God designed for our gender and sexuality to be practiced. Anything outside of that is sin. Biblically speaking, Because of the fall, all of us are broken, twisted, and deceived. None of us seek after God, but rather we seek our own selfish pleasures. Satan promises us that these sinful desires will bring us pleasure, purpose, and identity, but in the end, they will not. Biblically speaking, everyone who practices LGBTQIA plus gender and sexuality is living in sin, pursuing a false identity, and is in danger of eternal punishment and separation from the living and loving God who died for them. In and through Christ is their only hope, is our only hope to real joy, real peace, real pleasure, real identity. Biblically speaking, then, this is true not only for just those deceived by the LGBTQIA lie, but for every human being everywhere throughout all time. It's the same lie. So my hope and assumption is that many of us here today listening to this or listening online, if they've made it this far, are not struggling with sexual sin in this way or our identities in this way. But so how does this apply to us? Well, that's where our call comes in. This is how it applies to us. So this is my challenge to you. It's my challenge to me. It's my challenge as your pastor to this congregation and to this people, not only here in Allegan, but to whoever it is that you happen to know, Ephesians. that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now that's the text. Here is the application. One, constantly come before the throne of grace in prayer and praise. Luke 21, 34 through 36 says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. 35 says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 reminds us, in such were some of you. And so therefore, church, Constantly come before the throne of grace in prayer and praise. Constantly come before the throne of grace in praise that this sin isn't your sin and pray for those whose it is. Pray because you are nothing but one step away from falling into whatever temptation that so easily plagues you. Praise the Lord that by his good grace, he has revealed the truth to you. Because remember, the gospel tells us, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. And so there is nothing intrinsically better about any of us who happen to have uh, received the gospel than anyone who hasn't yet. It is only by God's grace. And so therefore, constantly coming before the throne of grace in prayer and praise to thank the Lord for saving a wretch such as myself, and then praying that because he's able to do far more than I can think, and ask for, that he would also save those who struggle with this and give them the right identity that is in Christ. Secondly, stand up for biblical truth while extending God's grace in welcoming fellow sinners. We can preach a sermon like this, where we condemn sexual sin of all kinds and gender identities of all kinds outside of scriptures and we can still say, and such were some of us. And we can still say, this is, if you want to use those terminologies, this is an inclusive place because guess what? It's inclusive of all those who want to recognize I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. If that's, if that's you, then you're included. <laughs> is this a safe space? Absolutely, because guess what? We're not going to judge you, but we are going to call you. See, here's the thing about the gospel. Christ loves you just as you are, but he died so that you wouldn't stay there. Because there is death. There is hell. Christ loves you in whatever filth that you're in, just like he loved me in whatever filth that I was in. But he died for me so that he would renew me, so that he would renew you, so that I would have my identity, not in my angry Womanizing alcoholism, but rather my identity would be in Christ and in Him crucified. And so we can stand up for biblical truth while extending that grace to fellow sinners and saying, There is nothing unsavable about any of us because how deep, how wide, how broad is the love of Christ? Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ. Who's to judge the living and the dead? Preach the word, he says. Galatians, which we're going to get into, but it's at the end of the book, so you'll forget this by then probably. Statistically, that's the case. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so lastly and thirdly, how we apply this is be willing to walk with others through the sanctification process. You know, I, you know, here's the thing. God can do miraculous works, right? There's stories out there of people who were, you know, shooting up heroin on the street corner. They they heard Billy Graham, they threw the needle down, and then that was it. And they were clean and sober the rest of their lives. Our God is a God who can do amazing miraculous miracles like that. For me, when I became saved, I still wanted to smoke pot and I still wanted to drink. And there were times when I really struggled with depression and anxiety and fear and hopelessness and doubt of who I was in Christ. And there were times that I turned to those things. And it was a process over the years that God, through, through people discipling me and loving me and walking with me and through, through churches like this, who still allowed me to come in, even though I was an idiot... And, so, and you still allow me to come in even though I'm, I'm an idiot but we walk with one another through this sanctification process knowing that I will not be perfected until, I, until you guys don't see me anymore or for some of you who go before me will then greet me as I come home But I am not perfect, and we can't pretend to be, and so we need to be willing to walk with others through the sanctification process. And so that means if somebody who comes in who is truly struggling with some kind of gender identity, are we going to be the kind of people who says, hey, get in here, let's walk together through that. Let's study Scripture, and we're going to hold one another accountable. We're going to extend grace as we welcome one another without Without misusing Scripture or allowing for sin, should should we continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be? And we're going to go together to the throne of grace, to the Father of grace, who will, by His good pleasure, He says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that may take a whole life. But are we willing to walk with others in the sanctification process? So, in closing, the Bible is clear about human sexuality. Oh, I'll read. Yeah, we're going to skip that. The Bible is clear about human sexuality. But brother and sister in Christ, it's also clear in how we need to respond to wrong ideology as well as treating people with love. We are called to deliver truth and grace, bearing with one another all the way to the foot of the cross because he bore with us, and he still does. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us your spirit. Help us to be a people of steadfast theology as well as steadfast grace. We need you to give us a balance so that we're not legalistic or licentious. We must be a people who find their identity in your Son and only in Him, for all other ground is sinking sand. Father, we ask for you to be with your church. Let your church proclaim truth boldly and love fervently. Let this church be a place of restoration, of new life, of biblical counsel, of brotherly love, of holy living, of real discipleship, of maturing believers, of humble brothers and sisters sold out for you, for this town and for your kingdom. Lead us in your way to never be compromised and yet always compassionate. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, let's stand and sing.